listening to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share their practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career and life satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, we are breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch those Sunday blues. Welcome to No More Mondays. Hello, everybody, and welcome to No More Mondays. I am your host, Angie Callen. How financially secure is your future? (laughs) I bet I just struck a little bit of a nerve because this is a topic we do not talk about much here or maybe even enough on No More Mondays, and that is money. Our relationship with the green stuff can be rooted in us from a very young age. We've all heard it. Money is the root of all evil. Money makes the world go round. Money doesn't grow on trees. You can't take it with you when you die. We've heard it all, especially of those of us who grew up with baby boomer parents who were raised by our post-war grandparents. Regardless, being financially fit is a key aspect to our overall life and career satisfaction. And while we all have a different definition and different goals of what financially fit looks like, there are definitely some best practices that can help you Fine-tune your bank account, and we're going to help you do just that today as we welcome Joe Woodhouse to the show. If you do not want to retire on beans and toast, Joe is your guy. (laughs) Not only is he British, which instantly makes all of we Americans trust him a little bit more, he spent his career working in the world's financial industry, and now he's carved out a niche helping simple people like us understand the complexities of the financial world. And as you can see, he he and I are going to have some laughs today. So he's a straight talker. He's going to help us understand what the heck is going on in the markets and how to manage our money. So Without further ado, Joe, welcome to No More Mondays. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, you're, you're you're welcome. And, it, and I'm, I'm actually not kidding. In America, I swear British accent just makes me have more respect for what you're about to tell us. <laughs> there we go. Must yeah. be true then. Must be true. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I, and I'm glad you get to be the one who's going to break this, break the ice on this topic of money around here. So thanks for being the chosen one. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's dive in. And, and I, I guess we should maybe build some credibility with everybody out there for a second. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what you do in this world of financial planning. OK, so I have been in financial services now for almost 20 years. Um, I started in banking in the U.K., and then became a financial advisor and then moved to the Middle East where I lived there. I lived in Abu Dhabi in the UAE for 10 years. We moved back to the UK just pre-COVID 2020. And I basically, I specialize in helping people protect their family now and in the future. Um, but I'm a massive fan of just keeping things simple because my industry is full of jargon and noise and BS and don't win me any friends when I say this, but in my opinion, it's built that way. It's created that way to make, to keep the consumer at arm's reach and make people like me sound much more important and much more intelligent than we actually are. When in reality, if you follow a few simple steps, you can get where you need to be. And I try and make finance accessible to everybody through my channels. So I want to know, I think it's I I think that the you're 100 percent right in that. I think that there's kind of like an intentional veil of 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 uh, complexity around the financial world that 
makes it more difficult to understand when it really isn't. And I would I'm I'm curious from your perspective how kind of the world influence of working in finance in more than just mm-hmm. one market has kind of influenced your perspective on kind of financial planning and wealth management. Um I mean for me, like I say, it's just about keeping things super simple and just sort of tackling things one step at a time. So I preach about this quite a bit that the number one question I get is, Joe, what's the best investment I can make? What What's the best investment I can make in 2023? And I'm like, look, that's the wrong question to ask. The question you need to ask first is, are you debt free? Because if you're not, that's the best investment you can make. Have you got an emergency pot saved? I.e., have you got six months expenses in a bank account? If not, that's the second best investment you can make. Is your family protected? Do you have children? Do you have a husband, a wife? If anything happens to you, is there an insurance policy in place or enough money in place that they could continue their lifestyle and not go through all the loss of daddy's died to three months after daddy's died, mummy's got to sell the house because daddy didn't think you were worth a couple hundred dollars a month. So it's getting that in place. And then once you've done all that, it's then working out not what to invest in, but why you're investing and just attaching a goal to it and making it tangible. And making that goal bigger than yourself. So it's, what? why are we investing? Well, I want to retire at age 60. Right, where do you want to live? What sort of lifestyle do you want? What does that look like? And building a picture around that and then putting a monetary value to it. So look, the lifestyle you want will cost you X amount of dollars a month, a year, a week, whatever it is. Then it's working out, then it's funneling that back to today. And they say, look, this is what you want. This is what you need to do today for the next 10, 15, 20 years in order to achieve that. If you don't put that money away, something here has got to change. It might mean no more holidays. It might mean you can't change the car as often as you want. It might mean that you've got to sell the house. It might There's all these different eventualities, but it's a case of sort of attaching a real sort of tangible thing to that. So when it's Christmas, when it's summer holidays when the markets are a little bit rocky, that you don't just jack it all in because there's there's a higher goal attached to it than just me putting a bit of money away each and every month. I think, and I think a lot of people, and I, you know, I was going to ask you about kind of what's a, what big pitfall or uh, of, of money management or retirement planning. And I actually think you may have just stumbled upon at least one that, that I would, I would think is very accurate. And that is that we, we have, I would say goals for the future, but don't ever sit down and kind of, reverse engineer the financial equation of what that looks, what we, what we need to do to look like. Cause there's kind of a finite number of variables in that, but in that equation that you can play around with to figure out if that's even achievable versus just like ideas of grandeur or, you know, not necessarily knowing what, how to set yourself up for success. Yeah. And another big pitfall as well is spending and then saving. So I, I say, I talk a lot about paying yourself first, So the day after payday, have a set amount going into a savings account, have a set amount going into an investment account, and then you spend what's left. Instead of spending money, then coming to the end of the month, all right, how much have I got? I've not got that much this month, so I'll not put money away, but then next month I'll I'll, I'll catch up next month, and it, it never happens. Oh, no, it never happens. If you're left to your own devices, and there's some, and I'd be curious to hear what you think of the, there's some, 
there's a, there's different ways to execute this. So I've seen like the envelope plan before. Um, from a business perspective, we follow profit first, which is I would say the business structure of how to do that. Um, or I guess Dave Ramsey has that like zero dollar budget. But it, at the end of the day, it's all what kind of um, structure can you set for yourself to follow so that you're accountable to your own financial systems and therefore goals, right? Yeah, and the most the best plan is one you can stick to. It's all good and well saying I'm if I'm going to save three thousand dollars a month or whatever it may be. If you're going to do that for two months and then jack it in, it's a waste of time. So it needs to be something that's sustainable and. Like the age-old saying goes, Rome weren't built in a day. So start something small that's manageable that you can do, stick to that for a few months, and then increase it. Stick to that for a few months, then increase it, and just keep working that way instead of... It's like when someone starts at the gym. I've never been to a gym before. I need to get fit, so mm-hmm. I'm going to start going to the gym five times a week, and I'm going to start running six times a week. It's like, you won't. You'll, you'll do it for a month, if that, and then you'll You won't do it. Yeah. It's just like quitting smoking cold turkey. How, like statistically speaking, how often does it work? Their their habit stacking, let's call it, good old James Clear and Atomic Habits, is actually a thing that works. There's a reason that there's recommendations for help. You can you can actually inch yeah. yourself forward. So you brought up the fact that markets are all over the place. And this is kind of gonna put a little bit of just I'd say a timestamp on this conversation, but uh, I feel that we were are in this little bit of kind of shaky ground for a little while. So it's not it's not a real small timestamp. But, you know, here in the U.S., inflation's all over the place. I'm sure in the U.K., everywhere else in the world's feeling the same thing. The markets are up and down. Hiring is kind of I have lots of words for it, but I won't apply it there <laughs> all over the place. You know, basically, like it's all unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I have to answer that, Angie, what's going on out there? Question one more time. I'm going to be like, because ah, it's when people are job searching, it's so much uncertainty. So I guess what do you recommend we do to find our own stability? So like you said, these small habits and being consistent, what can we do for ourselves to give us ourselves kind of like a grounding and a foundation, regardless of what is happening with these external factors. Ignore the news. I love people who say ignore the news. <laughs> I had this conversation yesterday and I was like, yay, I love it. <laughs> but, but joking aside, I mean, look, too many people make 20, 30, 40 year investment decisions based on the last 30 seconds worth of news. If you are investing for the long term, what is happening today is none of your business. And I can show you a thousand charts and a thousand graphs that show that over the medium to long term, the markets only ever go in one direction, and that is up. The fall of temper in the rise is permanent. And if you look back to um, 1928 until now, there's been 27 bear markets, i.e. markets falling, and 28 bull markets, i.e. markets increasing. So in the long run, it's actually pretty predictable. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and what we're going through at the minute is completely normal. It's a normal market cycle. But the average loss within a bear market since 1928 has been 36%. 36% loss. However, the average gain in a bull market has been over 100%. So the markets, Do they, the math. Increase, they drop a bit. They increase, they drop a bit. It, again, yeah. it's, it's completely... And, and we need these bear markets. We need We need recessions in order to reprice the market. But what follows every single recession is a recovery, i.e. things will get better and we will come out of this bigger and stronger. 
everything is temporary. And I love to talk about um, I, I love career economics. I okay. think I should have been an economist, but I only like I only like economics as it applies to the labor market. And I have been saying this for like for six months that if we want if we want if we don't want to have beans and toast next week because meat is $89 a pound, like if we want inflation to settle, we need the hiring market to calm down because, and and now things are, the the dust is settling on that a little bit. And the hiring is, you know, we've had these big layoffs in tech and stuff like that, but we were still seeing record hiring, record low unemployment here in the U S at least. And inflation was through the roof and all that stuff doesn't jive. Something's got to give if we want things to, you know, become, uh, you know, overall a little bit more manageable. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. And the tech market in particular, there was, when things are going great, it's never noticed, but when things start, when, when things I think a lot of the tech companies now are actually living in the real world and they're running their businesses as businesses. They're not I love just- you, Joe. <laughs> I've been telling people this. I'm like, tech's been on a 15-year hiring tear yeah. and then they went on a bigger hiring tear for three years and they yeah. created quite the little cluster for themselves that now they're having to unwind and reconcile. And what's weird is hiring and tech isn't bad. It's just different than what everybody's known because it's been on a hiring tear for 15 years. And now it's basically the same as it is and has been in every other market. So let's just call it, it's been normalized, Yeah, but people are really uncomfortable with that. Oh, of course. Cause it's, it's the uncertainty is the unknown. Like, and I think as humans, we have very short memories as well. Like we, we only look at what's happened in the last few years, but a lot of these tech companies, you've got management over management over management over management, and it was just this never-ending cycle. Um, and I think Elon Musk were a big part of that as well, going into Twitter and just going, right, we don't need this layer, we don't need this layer, we don't need you. Um, and I think a lot of them have sort of followed suit with that because he's running it. And he came in and said that, didn't he? He said, I'm going to stop running this as a business. I want to make money. Yeah. Yeah, The the uh, like there's I think there's rash decision-making versus um, – more more tempered decision making and observations <laughs> over kind of the long term yeah. uh, trends versus riding the roller coaster that is the news between 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. You could get 12 different stories that give you 18 different emotions and you could tear your hair out. And so I I'm also a big fan of like, don't read the news. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing with the news. That is what the news is there for. The news is there not to give you the news. It's there to evoke an emotion in you. So whatever's happening, good or bad, you get the most sensationalized version of it. And unfortunately, we're hardwired to seek out negativity. So We are. So again, what, what sells more eyes? Is it that the, the market's going through a bit of a rocky patch? It's completely normal. Every, again, this has been expected since 2008, really, that this was going to happen. Or worst recession since X, worst financial crash since Y. Worst day in the markets since then. That sells more eyes, unfortunately. So that's what they push out. Yeah, and and you can all well, and with the twenty four hour news cycle, and the sense sense sense. What was it? I can't say that word. You said it. Thank you. The sensationalization <laughs> of of news. You can find any outcome, any comparison, any data point you want to, based on your point of views or what you would like to validate. Yeah. So I think my question for you, and this could turn into a 
probably quite spirited, violent, violent agreement around politics, okay. but we'll just keep it in finance for now, Joe. Um, I want to know. So it, like, don't ride the roller coaster. I say that about a lot of things. For instance, entrepreneurship. I tell people don't ride the roller coaster from day to day. Right. Oh, my gosh, I got a client. I haven't gotten a client for three days. Look at the bank account. I have no money. If you ride that, you will get off the train faster than you got on. If you can find that baseline of consistency, it's a lot more palatable. So I'm curious where you get your information from and how often or consistently you consume based on like, what do you trust? Um, I'm not going to n- name any sort of news or media outlets, but w- I mean, look, we are, so within the industry, we, we have sort of regular uh, sort of meetings with um, sort of industry leaders. We speak regularly with market analysts. We speak regularly with the fund managers that we work with. Um, so we we get as much of a balanced approach as possible. Um, but again, you've got to do your own homework. You've got to do your own research with it. And if someone's selling a fund, what is invested more in this sector? Well, guess what's going to do better this this over the next twelve months? This sector is. So even still, you you do need to take a lot of things with a pinch of salt. And I think you brought up a really good point, which is. Do your own homework and research through multiple sources you trust so that it's not all coming from a singular place. But I also think that uh, when you when you said we don't have very, um, when you said we don't have a very, very long memories anymore, I'm like, yeah, we're just becoming more and more and more like goldfish now yeah. because uh, of there's so much distraction. And I think it's I think it's important for people out there to to think and research and find their own data and opinions on kind of stuff. And I don't think we do that enough. And that's really what kind of, I think in a way, what we're talking about here is uh, to don't overconsume, but when you do consume, do it from multiple sources you trust and doing your own legwork. Yeah. And and again, I mean, so we spoke about sort of jumping in and out and the volatility and with the job market, the investment market is exactly the same. And if anything, what we are going through, if you understand this, what we are going through now is a great time if you are investing for the long term. Because if you're investing into the markets at, say, a dollar, for argument's sake, and you're putting $1,000 putting thousand dollars away, you're buying 1,000 1, shares or 1,000 units. If next month the market crashes to 50 cents, you're buying twi- and you invest $1,000 again, you're buying twice as much. So you're getting twice as much for your money. So while ever the markets are down, if you continue investing on a regular basis, happy days if you're looking at it with a longer term view. For the long haul. Yeah. It's like the January sales of investing. Yeah. So uh, I have just a quick question that is not about cartoons from the 80s. Where did the bull and the bear terms come from? How they attack. I'm not going to do well, I'm going to do a bear. I mean, we could get really graphic here, comes folks. Down, yeah. A bear comes down, a bull goes up. There you go. There we it's go. that simple. Look at it. See, he's already just making things <laughs> simple. So uh, let's go back to kind of that intersection of career and finance for a second, because okay. I talk to a lot of people who they want to change jobs. They want to uh, start a company. They want to do something different. And anecdotally, when things get a little shaky, markets start changing, people start to start thinking and wheels get spinning like, oh, man, I don't like where I'm at. I better go do something better before this world ends. But but then a lot of times they've got golden handcuffs that keep they get in the way. They limit they limit the options or kind of render options down to none. So I'm curious from your perspective how somebody can be more proactive 
uh, to set kind of a financial foundation that can support some change, give them some room to breathe, but then also, you know, mitigating risk at the same time. So that's a lot all in one question, but go for it. Okay. So again, sort of goes back to what I said earlier. So the first thing is get your debts cleared. So clear off any credit cards you've got, any loan you've got, any high interest debt. So bad debt, as I call it. I, so you've got bad debt and you've got good debt. Bad debt is debt against either nothing or debt against something what is depreciating in value. Good debt is a mortgage on a property. Or what's oh, is it? Is your house? Yeah, yeah, it's your house. It's investment properties, yeah. Um, so first thing I would say is clear your debts off. And once you've done that, build up an emergency pot. So build up six months expenses in a bank account. In a separate bank account, what caused, what there's a little bit of pain to get to it. And so it's not just, you don't even need your card anymore, do you? You just wave your phone um, and the payment goes. Um, yeah, that one doesn't go in your wallet, everyone. Yes, in yeah, your- exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, and obviously, this obviously depends how sort of structured and how disciplined you are. But if you're not dis- disciplined, and I say this to people all the time, if you don't trust yourself to just use the card online or transfer the money into your main account and then spend it off that, open it with a different bank. Drive into town, queue up in a bank for 20 minutes, open a bank account, have a standing or a direct a debit order, leave your main current account every single month, going into that second account, what you don't have online access for, what you cut the cards up for, for when you need money out of that account, so you've got to drive into town, you've got to pay to park your car, you've got to queue up for half an hour in the branch, which is a pain in the arse, just to get the money out. So if you need it, create a barrier. Because this money, this is not for a new TV. This is not for a Saturday night out with the guys or the girls. This is if your boiler breaks down. This is if you get a leak at home, your car breaks down, a family emergency if you need to change jobs or if you lose your job unexpectedly, this is money there that you can live off until you get yourself back on your feet. Because if you don't have it, you could have credit cards, which takes you 10 steps back. It is, uh, it is effectively cleaning out your kitchen cabinets of all the sweets when you want to lose 10 pounds, right? You just make it really hard (laughs) to get to. And I'm stealing that analogy. I like that. (laughs) Okay. You're allowed to have that. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah or a stone is it 10 pounds of stone am i about right 14 i can't 14, remember that conversion yeah, yeah something yeah. something like that uh i just know i like my weight in stones because <laughs> i can count it on like one hand anyway um no this is really good so right now where we're at in just kind of like i would say your your initial steps are pay off bad debt generate the emergency fund of six months, Mm -hmm. preferably putting that in a place that is behind lock and key that you do not have access to. What would be, okay, so let's say we've got that in place. Mm -hmm. What would be the next step you would recommend somebody takes once they've accomplished those two kind of first level goals? So you make sure you've got protection in place. So by protection, I mean, life insurance, serious illness cover, um, possibly sickness cover as well. Um, I don't know how it works in the US market, I'll be completely honest. Um, I don't think anybody does. But, but I mean, look, basically, the, I, the question I ask people all the time is that if you didn't come home today, what would your family do tomorrow? Because when you die, it's not only you that dies, it's your income that dies with you. Pretend, and if you've got young, like I've got three children under the age of five. 
So I've got a four-year-old, tw- that's why I've got no hair. Good on you. Yeah. got four-year-old twin boys and I've got an 18-month-old daughter. So if I didn't come home tonight, my, they, Aubrey, my daughter in particular, who's 18 months old, she needs me for the next potentially 22 years. So it's making sure there's enough in place to cover that. And same with serious illness cover. And this is, we call it critical illness cover in the UK, critical illness cover in the UK. This is something I'm really, really passionate about. My mum my died of cancer when she was 56. And a critical illness cover is basically a policy that if you get diagnosed, if a doctor taps you on the shoulder tomorrow and says, you've got X, Y, or Z, if you've got cancer, it would pay out a lump sum. Now, you can then use that lump sum however you see fit. You can pay your mortgage off if you want. You can put it in a bank account and use it to live off for the next 18 months, two years, until you get yourself back on your feet while you're going through chemotherapy. Or you can pay for private treatment if the treatment you're getting is not um, the best sort of treatment available. But it's giving yourself that. It's it's essentially buying yourself time. Because, again, if if you get diagnosed with a serious illness and you're not only fighting recovery, but you're also stressing about where's the money going to come from for the next two years. It's going to impact how you, how you get on. Well, and here in the US, and here's a, another rabbit hole we could go down, and I'm not, I'm going to try not to. Here in the US, uh, the number one cause of bankruptcy is medical debt, because we don't, we don't have socialized health care here, and the cost of medical care here is exorbitant. Like even insurance is insanely expensive and then God forbid you actually get sick. And so a lot of this is a a lot of, I would say, financial planning is protecting yourself against uncertainties. And while that has a little bit of a doomsdayness to it, it does still put you in a better, more proactive, more flexible situation, whether it is an unexpected illness, whether it is a layoff, because that is something that people are experiencing right now. Um, or you want to make a change, like whatever, whatever it is, having that kind of, I would say having options because you gave yourself flexibility is a huge game changer. Cause if, if, even if, if you get laid off tomorrow, the worst thing that you can say to yourself is, oh crap, I got one month because even statistically speaking, it takes three months to find a new job. So you're already kind of behind the bell curve. So I would say, also, just be really honest with yourself and where you are or are not at right now to get the current picture in a better a better place. And then you get into that like 20 plus year outlook. Yeah. And he's owning it as well, because, again, so many people, again, it's a very British thing. were very quick to point the finger and play the victim and blame everyone else for the situation we're in. Oh, it's because of COVID two years ago. Oh, it's because I got divorced 10 years ago. Oh, it's because the market's not good. It's like... No, take stock on the money you've earned for the past 10 years, the money you've spent for the past 10 years. Where's that gone? So it's actually taking ownership as well. And this upsets people when I say this, but there's something very empowering about holding your hands up and going, I've messed up. Because it gives you that power back. Because if, if you're constantly pointing the finger and blaming everyone else, there's nothing you can do about that. You can only impact how you react and what you do moving forward. And and that is a 100% applicable message to everything in life, yeah. right? And 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 we're really good. We this has come up on no more Mondays uh in the past several times this idea of like the victim mentality, why is this happening to me instead of just saying, okay, it happened. I don't have control over what 
happened, I can only now control my reaction to it and what I do going forward. And that is applicable to your money situation, your job situation. If you get laid off, the divorce, all of those things. Yeah. And it, and it happened to me. I was exactly the same in my mid twenties. So actually we lived out, I moved to Abu Dhabi when I was 22. So me and my, well, we weren't married at the time, but we were together before we moved out. So me and my wife, now wife moved out to Abu Dhabi. I started earning more money than I've ever imagined. Um, started doing really well and then started spending a fortune. And then in, I think it was 2015, um, it was 2014, we found out, we got married, wanted to have kids, found out we couldn't have kids naturally. So we then started the IVF route, which in the Middle East is a very expensive hobby. Um, it, 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 I was going to say money pit, but that feels really unfair to the three children who live in your home. But yeah, well, it is yeah. it is a, an expensive effort. The hobby oh, is and, the hobby yeah, part's hilarious. And, and it, like, it took five attempts before uh, we were blessed with the bottom with my twin boys. And we were going through this and it was like 15, 20,000 pounds per cycle. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I changed jobs. Um, so the, I changed companies. The company I was with at the time didn't get paid for six months. It wasn't what I expected. The market was down. So I was playing this victim of why me? Why is this company this? Why Why can't we have kids? And it was only when I actually sort of sat back and took stock and worked out how much money I'd spent over the last four years leading up to this point. And I looked at the four-bedroom house we were in with a swimming pool and the two flash cars on the drive, what we didn't need, and we were out every weekend, and we are going on all these expensive holidays, it were only when I really sort of took stock of all that, that were like, actually, no, it's my fault. And it was only then that I really properly started practicing what I preach and putting a real structure in place and making my savings intentional and making my spending intentional. Well, and I think... Your fault is a strong word, but you put you made choices that put you in a situation and yeah. you you made the conscious decision to be intentional about changing it. And uh, I've talked about this a couple times on the podcast, but in 2017, we had a business deal go south and went bankrupt. And and then and in six years, we were able to recover and I built a business that enabled us to buy a home. And so it, it, I could have just chosen to be the bankrupt victim. And, you know, figured out whatever comes from that and and said, oh, this is terrible. And let that like define us and our, you know, financial stability or instability. But it was a conscious choice to say, no, we're going to like go into active recovery mode and do something about it. And so it was that same kind of situation of like taking stock. What do I do to recover from this? What actions do we take? And kind of reverse engineering the plan that for us was was like buying a home was kind of the like short to medium term goal. And now it's more for like the long term that we're here. Um, But I think a a lot of us stick our heads in the sand like good old ostriches when it comes to the money. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. So in this like, oh, I have, you know, let me go back to one more thing. So we were Mm -hmm. talking really specifically about financial security and stability and a foundation to support life. I would say life circumstance or unexpected events, potentially career changes, layoffs. What additional advice or things would you change for entrepreneurs? People like me who I, you know, Jim works for career benders. My company makes all of our money. What additional kind of either safeguards or foundational things should people like me be thinking about financially? 
pay yourself a fixed salary. So, and this is super important. If you, I mean, I'm self-employed as well now. So I've got my company and from my company, I pay well, my wife and I directors of it. So I pay, we both have a fixed salary every month from the company yep. instead of taking everything out and having those, uh, oh, because I should have bust, but I don't know if I can swear on this. So instead of the all in or all out months or the months where it's a little bit quiet or and robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, so it's pay yourself a fixed salary and then live off that fixed salary and let the let the business account, let the business sort of look after itself because it's not always going to be record weeks, week after week, record. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. The other thing I would advise people to do as well, again, within the business, is have a separate savings account for the business, what you put your tax money into. The amount of entrepreneurs and business owners that stress at tax season is insane and if anything i do the opposite so i work out my highest potential tax i'm going to pay within my business and every payment that comes into my business and vat gets transferred into that separate bank account i then obviously offset what i can and my accountant does his magic at the end of the year and i usually then have a pot of money after my tax bill goes i've usually got a pot of money in this other account so I actually now sort of think of tax season as a time where I get a nice big bonus. It's your bonus. Yeah, yeah. That's flipping the that's flipping the mentality on tax yeah. season. Yeah. And instead of filing extensions, it's like let's get this done so I can get my <laughs> get my bonus. I, I love it. Uh, but yeah, I was I was uh, talking to a colleague of mine who was like, um, I got to pay ten grand in taxes this year. And he was still paying, paying himself through distributions through like an LLC. And I'm like, oh, oh, we so the like the two big messages there that I, I also love are one, you should have, if you're an entrepreneur and you own a business, I don't care how small it is. It should have a completely separate set of finances from you personally, even if you do use like a credit card for expenses that gets completely paid off every month because you get bonus rewards or whatever. It should only be used for business because that needs to be its own little thing. And then the the salary thing, I remember when we finally got consistent with income to start paying a salary, even if it wasn't like, you know, a full, full, full salary. It's the most empowering thing in the world as an entrepreneur to set up your automatic payroll and not think about it. Yeah. I love it. And every I still get like a little ooh when I get my little gusto message every two weeks that says, hey, you're getting paid today. Like I'm some normal employee that didn't realize I was getting paid today because I'm the one putting the money in the account. So, yeah, those are uh, those are that's that's excellent advice. And then the the, t- the tax thing. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with there's a, a book called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. And it's really you have said elements of it that's very similar to this idea of like, OK, you have money come in and then you proactively allocate it to where you know it's going to need to go. So a portion, whatever that percentage you've worked out, goes to a tax account. A portion goes to like a savings or a business profit account that you also cannot touch because it's at the bank across the country that you can't even drive to. Um, and then also to owners, owner, like owner compensation. And then whatever's left is your like operating expense. So it's, it's a really similar methodology. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked wonders for us. So however you actually implement it, like I felt I got to the point that I like this advice because I saw firsthand what happens when you are really intentional about knowing where your money goes. 
And so from a business perspective, I remember getting to the point where I'm like, we make a ton of money. Where is it going? (laughs) And at this point, we were still doing like salary and payroll and everything. But it was like, where is this going? And when I started allocating it, all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, look at this nice profit account I have. There's our house down payment. (laughs) So it does make a really big difference if you if you follow the paper trail and you don't stick your head in the sand like an ostrich. Yeah, it's about being organized as well. Like I having a set structure to it. Absolutely. And again, it's whatever you'll follow is the really big, important thing there. So don't yeah. make it overly complex. Don't have five bank accounts if you aren't going to actually, you know, be organized about it. Yeah. So um, this is fun. I love business chatter um, and like operational type. How do you how do you get your shit in order kind of thing? So I know like sim- simplicity is your jam. And I mm-hmm. like that this has been is very evident in this conversation all right, so we've got some we've got some foundational tips already. I'm going to get some more out of you because we like okay. advice around here. Okay. So, uh, other than the um, payoff debt and savings, yep. and then you've got yourself protected. What are your like top three pieces of simple advice on what we can do to be in a better financial situation? So once you okay, so you're debt free. You've got your emergency pot set in the bank. Your family's protected. It's now a case of looking at not what to invest in first, but why you're investing. So again, it's looking at uh, what what that's actually what your goals are. So it's looking at the next five, 10, 15, 20 year sort of life plan. And for me personally, I mean, I actually I've got three children under the age of five. For me to send all three of those to university in the UK, pay for university, pay for the living costs, and pay for the rent. It's going to cost me £650,000 once I take inflation into account for that. So it's knowing that number and then funneling that back to today. So I know exactly how much I need to put away now for the next um, 17 years in order to pay for all of my children to go to university and leave university completely debt-free. Now, look, will they go? I don't know. If they don't go, they've got that money for a house. But I would much rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But that's one of the goals you and your wife set for your family. And you you were open and transparent about that yeah. and reverse engineered the equation. Yeah. So even if that's not your goal, you have another, like you out there use, have another goal to kind of reverse engineer and, and workshop. Yeah. So another goal maybe, I mean, look, everyone has an expiry date when they realistically need to stop working. Okay, the people that say to me, oh, I'll never stop or I'll work till I'm dead are the ones that have just not got a plan in place. Okay, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stacking shelves when I'm 65 in the local supermarket. I can't think of anything worse than that. So for me, it's non-negotiable. I mean, my, 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 my financial freedom date, if you want to call it that, is 55. Do I think I'll stop working at 55? No, but from age 55. But you'll have the choice. Exactly. You're going to give yourself the choice. Yes. Exactly. So I want to be in a position when I'm 55 that I work because I want to work, not because I have to work. And so all of my goals and everything's engineered and geared to that point. So I know I know what sort of lifestyle I would want now if I wasn't working. I know how many holidays I would want. I know how many times a week I would want to go out for dinner with my wife. I know how often I'd want to play golf. I know the sort of hobbies that I would want to do now and the lifestyle I want, how I want to treat the kids, then I've attached price tags to all of those. I've then factored inflation into it. 
to me being 55 years old. And then I've worked out that that I need to then make sure that that money outlives me and I don't outlive my money. That's then I've then got a number around that, which is pretty big to be fair, but then I've funneled that back to today. So I know exactly what I need to be doing to get there. Now, look, that sounds super complicated, but literally just Google retirement calculator or or university education fee calculator and there's stuff online that can help you work all this out. Really, really simple, really, really simple. But it's a case of having that goal and then more importantly, taking action on that goal and start working towards it. So this is really about knowing your goals for the future and and being, uh, I would say, con- conservative in the way that you plan for them so that you know you have a surplus. So yeah, get advice. Yes, get advice. And I would say that that's, that is a, a good uh, reminder here in general that uh, it, it, there is no harm and you are not weak by seeking out advice. Um, and if you are honest and willing, if you're honest with yourself about where you're at and you're willing to kind of express that to somebody who can help you, professional advice in the financial realm can really change the future. And that is exactly why I'm super excited that you joined us today, Joe. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things as well that people don't even look. I know what I know. And I know what I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. So if there's anything that I don't understand, again, so for me, I employ coaches or mentors or teachers or advisors or whatever you want to call it to any part any part of my life that I don't have the time to sort myself, have the interest to sort myself, or have the knowledge to sort myself. So I've got a fitness coach. I've got a PT. I've got a business mentor. I've actually got my own financial advisor who I work with. I've got... Again, if my car breaks down, I take it to a mechanic. I don't try doing it myself. I've got rental properties. I have a letting agent that manages those properties because I've got no interest in getting a phone call on a Saturday afternoon saying I've got no hot water. So again, I surround myself with professionals in every sort of field that I that, that I work with that just takes all that hassle away from me. Yeah, build build the I hate that word tribe. But it's the only one coming to my mind right now. But you know, build your little tribe of yeah. of support. Because there's a reason we all do what we're going to do. And I'm the same thing. I've got, you know, I've got the CrossFit coaches. I've I've got my own coach because they always say a coach without a coach is like a doctor who won't go to the doctor. I'd say the same thing about a financial planner. Yeah. Right. So seek out, seek out support, but you have to be clear about your goals so that you seek out the right type of support. Yeah. And I think that that's a great piece of piece of advice. And speaking of advice, how do people follow along with you and get more of your uh, your your very simple words of wisdom when it comes to financial planning? I'm on all social media platforms. The easiest way to find me is on, as I'm saying, on Instagram. So Joe underscore Family Wealth 101. There you go. And of course, we will link that in the show notes. And uh, Joe just became a member of my LinkedIn network right before this podcast. I apologize in advance. I will fill your newsfeed with daily posts about job searching and career <laughs> career development and maybe share some financial stuff on your behalf. But uh, we'll we'll link everything here because I really like your perspective on how you break this down and make it simple, but also how important it is so that we're not stacking cans in the grocery store when we're 65 and so that we have the choice of when we want to decide to stop working even if that is until you die, at least give yourself the choice. So I'm so glad that we finally got to 
talk about financial planning in a really practical way here at No More Monday. So I appreciate you being here. We're going to take it out with one more piece of advice. What do you think? There's no negative without a positive. So by that, I mean, look for the gift in every bad situation. So I suppose an example of that was my mum getting cancer, which gave me the kick up the arse that I needed to get my own health in order. COVID was another example, which then sort of got me pre-COVID. I was flying all around the Middle East. I was away from my family four days up, four or five days a week and not, not putting my kids to bed every night. Then COVID happened and I then adapted to working online. So when I finished work at five o'clock every day, I bath and bed my kids every night. I don't have to travel. So I suppose, yeah, easier said than done sometimes, but whatever's happening, whatever's going off, look for the gift in it. There's a reason why when big things get, you know, there's big shakeup in the world that people start thinking, I need to kind of change, change my circumstance. I don't, I don't like where I'm at. And it's often because it's a wake up call. Yeah. And I think that that is an excellent takeaway to leave everybody with that, there is for every uh, negative action, there is a positive reaction and you have the choice to look at it that way and see what benefits can come from it instead of looking at the downfall it could bring. Yeah, completely agree. Joe Woodhouse has been a great guest. Thank you so much. This is a really fun conversation. It's been a pleasure. And I appreciate, you. Yeah. And I appreciate you taking some time away because I know in the UK you're starting to roll up towards uh, clocking out for the day. And so I appreciate I appreciate you taking the time to be here, giving some good advice and and that it is a great takeaway, everybody. And whether it's finance, whether it's business, whether it's something in life, think about what your circumstances can do for you instead of uh, instead of playing victim to them. And you'll be amazed at what doors open. So there you go. Another episode of No More Mondays. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed. Joe, thank you again for joining us. You are now officially part of the No More Mondays movement and you won't be rid of me anytime soon. Let's go. All right. So all of you out there, visit us on nomoremondays.info if you would like to grab the links to Joe's social and get his resources. He's got some great advice, everybody. It'll inspire you to get your shit in order when it comes to your bank account. I know I'm going to be like, hey, Jim, let's go look at things this weekend. So um, I hope it's made all of you want to do the same. And in the meantime, I hope it's also inspired you to go leave us a five star rating and follow us wherever you get your podcast, because it's a huge help as we continue inspiring confident professionals everywhere with great stories and great advice and resources like Joe has to offer. So if you want to leave us comments, drop a guest suggestion, feedback, or grab today's show notes, visit us online at nomoremondays.info. And I will see you again next week for another edition of No More Mondays podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode of No More Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your life and career. Don't forget, visit us online at nomoremondays.info to get all the details, show notes, and recommendation from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by CareerBenders, Inc. in partnership with executive producer Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit us online at careerbenders.com. 